Good morning, everybody. I firstly want to start with thanks from my wife and I for the privilege of being part of this church this weekend. We've loved it. It's not usual for us to travel in and out, but we're staying with my daughter in Pretoria, who just came home with our first grandchild on Thursday. She arrived home with her granddaughter, so we've kind of been stabilizing the household and uh, trying to help get them into routines and so on. This morning early, I was outside with my wife hanging uh, stuff on the line, <laughs> so... <laughs> But it's been a delight. We've loved being with you. Loved this morning. We loved the worship. We loved the joy in the house. We loved the children being with us. So thank you. It's a privilege to worship God with you. It's a joy. Thank you, Bruce and Myra, for inviting us and for opening your hearts and your church and your lives to us. We count all of that a privilege. And so I'm going to get started right away. I have been saying over the weekend that I'm sharing a message on mental health. And this has got nothing to do with the match last night. So, uh, but there is a special table for All Black supporters. It's under that green and gold banner there. We'll be praying for you after the meeting. Special ministry there. So uh, you will identify the people that will pray for you. They'll have something on their shirts that says, Go Boca. But uh, they'll pray for you there. But actually, jokes aside, I want to share, I've seen on your website... This desire as a church to be a healing community. And I, I just have come to blow wind into that vision, that dream, that heart that you have already. But also to minister to you personally. As I share on this topic, topic of mental health. And my, my aim is actually to sh show and to remind you that the word of God is more than just an inspired book that you can uh, go to. But it is a life giving life-changing word that heals us. And that no matter what mental health issue you might be struggling with, that I want to hopefully through today show you that you can rush to the word of God and meet God there. He's got something to say to you about what you're going through that I believe will be life-changing. Also, this is not a message that is here to answer all the detailed questions that people may have about mental health issues. But it's about actually journeying into the Word of God and then trusting that from there, God will answer those questions for you as you walk with Him. And my approach this morning is going to be to look at the relevance of the Bible as a tool for us journeying to healing with any area of mental health issue. And secondly, I want to look at God's process that we can find in the Bible of what I want to call a redemptive process that God has for every person to come to healing and freedom in areas of mental health issues. And so the last point that I'll cover is what is our response? What is a biblical response if I'm currently facing mental health challenges or emotional health challenges? So it's going to be three points that I'm going to cover uh, with you. And just at the outset, though, some of these I will expand on later, just some of my background that perhaps that you might be able to more identify with me in, if you're going through stuff, just a little bit of my background. I'm not looking for sympathy at all, but just to show there's something of a journey of my own life that will come through in the way that I share, is that um, my father... Uh, suffered from severe depression from even before I was born. 
And uh, this continued virtually through his whole life. He's, he's, he's um, not with us anymore. So I grew up in a home where the atmosphere was, in a sense, controlled by how's it going with dad today. And the decisions and the way that we grew up was covered in this awareness of that. It was the environment that I grew up in, and it revolved around that. By the time I got to grade seven, uh, I developed a severe anxiety condition as a young child that was so severe that it affected my health, it affected me socially, affected my sports involvement, all those things. And that went on for a period of around seven years. I suffered from a severe anxiety. And even a year into after I met Christ at 18, I suffered from it. And how God has set me free from that, I can testify that he set me free from that totally. But after we got married, we have two children, a son, and he lives in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and my daughter, who we're staying with in Pretoria at the moment. But uh, when my daughter reached grade eight, she suffered a severe back injury that affected her in many ways. And... It was a recurring cycle of pain and relief and pain and relief that went on for around about three, three, three and a half years of where we as a family experienced great loss, great suffering through this. It was extreme pain. We praise God. She's completely healed. And one of the things I'll just briefly mention here is that in that time where she was suffering from this, this back injury that they couldn't solve, that one of the things that she spoke out over her life is, I'll never be able to have children. And uh, you saw the photos, that's her little baby that we were holding with. So, but I, I share these things with you, and I'll expand on them a bit later. But I mention them only to say that the journeys of mental health and the trauma and the multiple traumas that we went through, even as a family in my own life, are things that I'm not just speaking about theoretically. I've seen the healing power of God's word as I share these things with you. So I want to start out then firstly the relevance of the Bible in the area of mental health. And I want to emphasize that because sometimes the Bible is kind of, okay, I'll turn to the Bible and then I'll, I'll add on all kinds of other things because we don't truly believe the scriptures is the place, the primary place to turn to. I'm not excluding other forms of help, but we sometimes almost want to say, well, it's, it's not that effective. But I want to look at that, and I want to do it by asking you to go through, even if you don't know the Bible at all, perhaps you don't, you're not familiar with it, but I, I want to say I want to scan through some characters from the Scriptures and just touch on their lives. And I'm going to be visiting people in the Scriptures and coming back to them and going over their lives multiple times as we just look at this incredible thing of how the Bible is a place so I can go to with my mental health issues. So I want to mention some characters and uh, the first one is one of the greatest prophets known to Israel. And uh, his name was Jeremiah. He, he lived in the time of the destruction of Jerusalem as a, uh, the Babylonian nation came in and destroyed Jerusalem. He lived through that time. But more than that, he lived through a time where he was warning the people that they were going to face consequences for their sins and they weren't listening. And so this prophet Jeremiah, this incredible holy man of God, and uh, yet he wrote a book of poems 
that in the Bible is known as the book of Lamentations, some poems of Jeremiah where he expresses what he was going through. I'm going to just read you one. I mean, it's a, quite a long book of poems. This is just two verses. In Lamentations chapter 3, it's one of his poems. And listen to what this prophet writes. And listen with an ear to hear what mental health, emotional health issues he was battling through. And he, re- he writes the following. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. And those words, if we were to put them into our day, they would, if you were to lie on the couch of some therapist and you would say, well, how's it going? Please tell me how. And you said, well, I've got no peace. I've forgotten happiness. It's not even that I'm a bit sad today. I've forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished. I've got no ability even to carry on facing life anymore. I've reached the end of the strength to carry on. And he says, I don't even have hope from the Lord. This is one of the greatest prophets in Israel. Then there's another character, Naomi. If you know the story of Naomi, it's recorded in the book of Ruth. But Naomi was a lady that went through multiple traumas. Not one trauma, but multiple traumas. She had a family and, and uh, things were going okay. And then circumstances changed. There was famine in the land. So much so they had to leave their country and move to another country. And it wasn't just another friendly country. It was a hostile country to their culture, to their beliefs and everything. But they had, they had no choice to do that but to go. And so she left. She abandoned her home country. Thank you, Frank. And in her new home, trying to settle down, the first thing that happens is her husband passes away. She loses her husband. So she's carrying on. She's got two sons. So she's carrying on. Her, her sons grow up. They meet. Women from that foreign country, they marry these, these two. But the next thing that happens is that her eldest son dies. She lost her husband, she's lost her firstborn son. Sometime later, her second son dies. She's left with her two daughter-in-laws that she has to live with. Multiple traumas, leaving her home country, losing her husband, losing a child, losing a second child, and she gets to a place where her coping mechanism to cope with life was just that she wanted to get everyone to leave her alone. She began to believe that if you hung out with her, you were just going to face hardship because everywhere she looked, people suffered. And she kind of, so she wanted to chase everybody away. And she even said to her two daughters-in-law, just leave me, just, just leave me alone. And then... She actually refused to be known by her original name. She refused to be known as Naomi. She believed that God was angry with her and that God had allowed these things to come over her life. So she said, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, which means bitter. And she, she felt that this was that she was this bitter person that God had angrily abandoned. Then there was a man in the Bible known as Jacob, a famous man in the Old Testament, Jacob one day got the news that his favorite son, Joseph, had been murdered, or killed, rather. And um, he wasn't actually killed by a wild animal. It was a story his brothers told who were jealous of him, but they had actually thrown him into a pit and sold him off to slavery. But he believed his son was killed. 
Years later, we know the story of Joseph. He became unknown to his family. He became prime minister of Egypt. And one day his brothers, or most of his brothers, arrived there in need of food from Egypt. And they appeared before him not knowing it was their brother that they had sold off. And they appeared before them. And he figured all of this out. And he came up with a plan and he said to them, there's one of your brothers that's not here. He was referring to Benjamin. And he said, if you want food from us, I want you to go back to your father and bring Benjamin here as well. And one of the brothers uh, that had appeared before him gets up. And one of these, these are one of the brothers, Judah, that had sold him off into slavery. He gets up and says to the prime minister of Egypt, not knowing it was Joseph, says to him, if I must go back now to my dad, Jacob, and take Benjamin from him, he will die of sorrow. So years later, the family knew that Jacob's sorrow for the loss of his son wasn't healed. That if he had to suffer another trauma, this old man would die of sorrow. This is one of the patriarchs of our scriptures, was a man that lived for years with unhealed wounds in his life. We can go on and mention names like Paul. I mean, we read the New Testament letters and we just think Paul was a man that uh, was almost untouchable. But you find out Paul will, in rare moments in his letters, he will express words like he says, I am overwhelmed with fear, suffered from deep anxiety at times in his life. You can take other famous characters like Gideon. Gideon was somebody whose environment, he was so battered by his circumstances that he got to a place where he suffered from such deep inferiority and he had such passivity because of what he had suffered. He just became passive. That he needed multiple miracles from God actually to get him to just do something for God because he got to such a place of passivity and insecurity. And so you can go on to name after name after name after name after name of people in the Bible who suffered from mental health issues. But one thing that stands out is that they carried on and they have become, in our eyes, the heroes of the faith. These very people that suffered through so many things, we think of them only in their capacity as great heroes of the faith. If I talk of Gideon and Jacob and all of these people, we see that. But my point this morning is, no matter what you're going through in your life right now, the Bible is a place I can say that if you turn to it, it's immediately something that you're going to find. You're going to find, if you read through the scriptures, you're going to find that suddenly you are in the company of people who know what you're going through. You're going to find yourself in the company of those who kept on going despite massive challenges of emotional and mental health issues. Even Jesus, our Savior, one of the things he was described as is a man that was familiar with sorrows and acquainted with grief. The great hero of the Bible, Jesus Christ. The man of sorrows. The Bible, therefore, is not a book that's going to condemn you if you're struggling with mental health issues. And I do find that when you struggle with mental health issues, that one of the things that generally confronts you is you feel condemned when you think of the Bible and you think of condemned, when you think of other Christians, when you think, well, I shouldn't be. I'm supposed to be this Christian person, perhaps. If you're a Christian, I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to be living in victory. And so we feel condemned. 
But when you turn to the scriptures, you will find suddenly you've got friends all around you. You read of them that are going to say, you know what? These are people just like you and me that are going through things. The other thing that I see from this, just this brief introduction that I'm giving, is that in each person that I've mentioned and the ones I haven't, God dealt with them uniquely. There was no one size fits all. Do this therapy, do this course, go through this thing, and you'll get over your problems. But you find in each case that I've mentioned, there was a different way that God journeyed with them to bring them to a place where they could fulfill their destiny in God. And that is why it's, I believe it's so important that we don't become a people that have a recipe of restoration. Because we don't find it in the scripture. And sometimes one kind of feels that people pull back because they find sometimes Christians want to say, well, if you just follow our recipe, you're going to get fixed. And very often, that's the last thing you need to hear when you're going through mental health issues. What you want to hear is that somebody will meet you on your journey and realize that you've got a unique set of circumstances. There's a unique story of how you got there. And there's a unique way that God wants to deal with you to get you to a place where you can fulfill everything that he has planned for your life. We must be very careful, therefore, that we do not judge people that are going through mental health issues. And I think it's a critical thing as a healing community that we realize that. I mean, you've got to realize the simple truth that when you meet somebody and you find out that they're going through mental health issues, you don't know their story of how they got there. And you also don't know where they are on the journey with God to where God's taking them. So don't judge them, but understand this thing that we are to be a healing community, create an environment that God can work in their lives. So that's the first thing. The relevance of the scriptures is vitally important to us. It is the book to turn to, no matter what you're going through. Even if you don't know the God of the Bible, pick up the, this book and start to read it. And you will find it's a place that you will suddenly find yourself embraced in a, a world, an environment, where you can find these people like you and how God will journey with them. The second thing is that I do see that in each person that I've mentioned and those that I haven't, that God had what I want to call a redemptive process on their road to fulfilling their purpose and their destiny in God. God had a redemptive process. And I, I want to point out from some examples the processes of God in their lives to bring them to fulfill their purposes, despite the fact that they had challenges of mental and emotional health issues. And I want to just declare it emphatically for you. Any person, I don't know most of you here, but I want to declare this over your life this morning because I'm convinced from, it, from Scripture about it that God has a redemptive process for you. doesn't matter where you are at. God has a redemptive process for you. The Bible, the truth, the Word of God proves that to me. And I can give you that reassurance, no matter how desperate you are this morning, I want to say to you, God has got a redemptive process for you. So I want to, I want to look at some characters. One of the great prophets, another one, Elijah, he was referenced this morning. But there was a time where Elijah suffered what I can only understand as a severe ministry burnout. He was a prophet that lived at the time of great 
darkness in the nation of Israel. So the time of Jezebel and Ahab and darkness and all of that. And so his ministry as a prophet was to confront the evil, sinful uh, environment that Israel was descending into. He was a confronting and he confronted with the power of God. And it was God, the God of Elijah. And he, he continually was pushing against the forces of darkness and challenging and challenging and challenging. That was his ministry. And the peak of his ministry really was when he got to a place where there were all these prophets of Baal and he challenged them and he challenged them and fire came down from heaven and he proved that the God of Elijah was the one and only true God and there was this incredible victory and it was straight after that where we find him uttering the words where he said I don't want to live anymore and we can only imagine that something happened in that space where it seems to me like it was a massive ministry burnout. Where this mighty man of God got to a place where he said, you know, Lord, just kill me now. And in that place of despair, depression, whatever you want to call it, we find this incredible redemptive process God does with Elijah. The first thing he does with Elijah is he, he takes him aside out of his environment, physically. He takes him geographically out of his environment. And then he gives him physical food. He feeds him. He, he attends to his physical needs. He says, eat this food. He sends some and being to him to feed him. Then he says, rest now. Because there's a journey ahead. He gives him a hope. There's a new journey ahead. And he feeds him and he strengthens him multiple times. And then he takes him into this encounter with God. After he attended to his physical needs. And sometimes... Physical needs are part of our healing process. And he tends to Elijah's physical needs. And then he, he brings him into this cave. And then there's this terrible wind that comes. And it's such a strong wind that it causes the rocks to fall down all around him. And then there comes this massive earthquake and rocks split from the shakings of the earthquakes. And then there comes this consuming fire. And then we read in the scriptures that it says that God was not in any of these three things. And then there was a, a, a whisper, a soft voice, and God was in the voice. And he speaks to Elijah, and he speaks to him, and he tells him what to go and do. And he restores him, and Elijah gets up, and he goes, and he completes the destiny that God had for him. I'm going to come back to that just now, but I'm just wanting to point out to you, God's got a unique redemptive process. You take Job... In the scriptures, it's a whole book about him, a long book about him. But the summary of Job's life is that he had massive loss in his life. Lost children, lost health, lost his possessions, he lost everything. And he went through multiple counseling sessions. And that's what most of the book is, is his counseling sessions. But we read in the counseling sessions that the people that came to counsel him, their intentions were good, but their counseling was very much one size fits all. When you read the counsel they gave to Job, their counsel was simply this. And I'm not saying it's never relevant. Sometimes it is what we... But they had a one size fits all. That if, you, if you're suffering like you are suffering, Job, there's something wrong with you. There's sin in your life. And he said, there's nothing. And they said, no, 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 just dig a bit deeper. And they counsel and they counsel and they counsel and they counsel. And that was a one size fits all. And in the end, he was worse off. 
And God comes and intervenes at this point. And God takes him, I don't know how God does this, but he takes him on this incredible revelation, this journey of God's sovereign power. And he takes Job and he, he shows him how in the deepest ocean where no human hand can get, how he feeds the deep fish living in the deep. And he takes him up on these high mountains where no humans can get to. And he shows Job how he looks after the birth of the mountain goats up there and he feeds them. And he, he, he moves him around all these places and he shows his sovereign power. And somewhere in this, Job gets this incredible revelation. And he says, God, I'd heard of you, but now I've seen you. And there's restoration that comes to Job. And he, he goes off and we, we read how there's this, he fulfills the rest of, the, of his life's journey after all that he'd been through. We go back to Naomi, the lady I spoke about earlier. I mentioned she wanted to push everybody away because she believed she had become this bitter root that was just infecting everybody. And if you came near her, you'd be filled with sorrow and life would just be terrible for you. So leave me alone, she said. And she felt God also had abandoned her. And because of that, she felt she'd lost all her worth to be with. I'm not worth being with. And God had a unique process for her, what I want to call a grace package. God gave her a grace package in the person of a lady, her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And remember her broken state, leave me alone, I'm worthless. Ruth comes and says to her mom-in-law, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I'll die. And she says, no, leave me. And she says, no, no, no. And she stuck to her and she kept trying to get her to go away. But this was God's redemptive process. He gave her a package that was ministering to her unique situation. And slowly but surely, initially, she kept saying, I'm not worth it. Don't come with me. Leave me alone. I'm, and whatever. But slowly but surely, this grace package that God stuck on her life in the form of a lady that just said, I will never leave you. He stuck her on her. And God began to minister to her. And eventually Ruth marries Boaz and Boaz embraces her. And Ruth and Boaz get married. They have a child. And they give Naomi this child, her granddaughter. Or grandson, rather. Give her a grandson. And say, so you must be the nursemaid. And, and this grandchild became one of the descendants of David, the ancestors of David and of Jesus. It restored her purpose, her value. And what I see from these accounts, as we have just mentioned three, but what I see from these accounts is that in each one, God had a unique redemptive process. If you look at Elijah, it was very different to Job. When you look at Job, it was very different to Naomi. But in each one, God was working in their lives in a way that was unique and it was redeeming them. And I think it's incredibly important for us to see that that is what God wants to do in your life. That he wants to meet you there and he wants to deal with you in a unique way. But there's one thing that stands out to me that is similar in all the cases and that the redemptive process of God always went around God revealing some unique part of his character to the person that brought them healing in the end. And I want to repeat that. It was the revelation of who God is that they needed to see that brought them to a place of healing and being able to fulfill their destiny. 
And I want to unpack that a little bit more with you. But when you look at Elijah, so let's go, what did God reveal to Elijah about who God is for Elijah at that point? When you understand Elijah's whole ministry had been about good and evil and confronting evil with the judgment of God and with the power of God. And so God ministers to him personally in his physical needs. This is contrary to generally Elijah's ministry. Because it was always about, it's them and these people that are so evil and whatever. And God starts to minister. But Elijah, what about you? And he ministers to his physical needs. And then he takes him into this cave. And I mentioned the three elements. There was the wind, there was the earthquake, and there was the fire. Those are all elements associated in Israel's history with judgment. And we can, you, we can take you through various ways where we see in Israel's history how it was always symbols of God's judgment. This fire that burnt up the people. The earth opened up and swallowed people. And, uh, and all of these things. It was a sign of the judgments of God. And yet, Elijah was in the cave and he realizes God's not in that. God wasn't in the judgments when it came to Elijah's need. But that was his whole focus and ministry was about God's judgment of evil. And in a sense, I want to say he neglected the personal love of God for him as God's servant Elijah. So focused on his ministry and what God had called him to, that he neglected something very deeply intimate that God cares for the worker. Intimately. So, God wasn't in these judgments. God wasn't out there to judge Elijah. And then comes the fourth manifestation that God allowed in the cave, and that was the whisper. The whisper, the soft voice. Scripture is a symbol of gentleness and intimacy. You only whisper when you want no one else to hear but one. And the whisper was what brought Elijah to a place where God whispered to him. It was a sign of intimacy that brought restoration. A sense of intimacy. So Elijah, it's all this judgment and stuff that I've sent you to do. But there's something far more important that Elijah needed to know. That God was gentle with him. God wanted to whisper to his beloved. To speak to him. And it's in that place that restoration came for Elijah. Job, now if you know the story of Job, it was like he lost sight that God was in control. From his perspective, it looked like chaos. There were no fences anymore to protect him. Anything and anybody could just come in and destroy his life. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. It just feels like the unprotected. Anything can just come in and trample on you again and again and just walk over your life and trod you down. Job felt like that. And the counsel that he got was, it must be sin, it must be your fault, it must be your fault. And God takes him out of that and he says, let me show you who I am. And he reveals to him his sovereignty. I feed the unseen goats. I feed the fish of the deep. 
I control the moon where it comes and where it shall set. I control all things. And as Job begins to see who God is for him, God has not lost control. It's not the devil that is ruling this world. It's not something. God is in control. And as he sees that, he says, Lord, now I've seen you. And I believe that's where he was restored when he saw that. I want to say, Naomi, she felt she'd lost God. She needed a person, someone with skin on, to show her that God would never leave her nor forsake her. She needed a person. Unlike Elijah that had this encounter in the cave. Naomi didn't need that. She needed to see God would never leave her. No matter what circumstances have come across her life. That God would stick to her. But he did it through a person that stuck to her and brought her healing. So as you can see, in each one we see there was a revelation of who God is that healed them. And I found in mental health struggles that it's as we see who God is in that area of our lives that brings us healing. And so often we want to get something else to change our circumstances, but God wants to change our understanding of who He is. And that brings healing to us when I understand something of who He is. It might not answer all my questions as to why and what's happened and fix all my circumstances. But like Job, I can say, I've seen you. And he didn't get his children back that were killed. But yet he could carry on and he could fulfill his purpose because he'd seen God. And something of that could bring healing even to that man with such loss. My third and last point This is just to be practical, some things to hold on to. If you're facing challenges with mental health issues, I want to say firstly, hold on to the promises of God. I want to just give some practical things. Hold on to the promise of God. There was a Chinese missionary who used this analogy and I found it very helpful. And he says, as a Christian, it's like walking on top of a narrow wall. And he says, as you walk, in front of you are the promises of God. Behind you are the circumstances of your life. And he says, as long as you focus on the promises of God, you're going to keep it able to be walking on the wall. But if you're going to turn around and you're going to look at the circumstances of your life, and you're going to try and keep walking forward, you're going to fall off the wall. And it is such a practical picture to remember is that I believe that God's given us his promises and in times where we are facing circumstances that are just seem to be out of control, we've got to hold on to the promises of God because they are the things that are going to bring healing to us and be able to bring us to a place of understanding who God is and finding ourselves able to fulfill what he's called us to do. And there's some promises I can just give you immediately. For every person, no matter what you're going through, I can give you these promises. I'm just going to rattle them off very quickly because you'll probably recognize them. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's a promise you can hold on to. Put it in front of you. Walk with that in mind. No matter what, if your circumstances are chaotic, hold on to that. Romans 8.28 We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise. You might not see your circumstances confirming that, but keep it in front of you. 
1 Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. You see, these are promises we can put before us and keep walking on the wall of trusting God. And I think I can briefly share from our journey over four years with our daughter. Many of you know to have a teenager in your house is challenging in today's world. Just to have that. And then on top of that, in grade eight, that she lost everything that was dear to her because of this incredibly painful back injury that kept recurring and kept cycling over. Multiple traumas, excessive pain that she went through. And as we as a family tried to journey this road with her, what my wife and I started to do, or we, we, we had already started, but we intensified it, is we began to say, but God, what are your promises over her life? What have you ever said over her life? And we, we, we used to put them down and we used to wait on God. We used to ask God and pray and everything, even if it was one little line, we would write it down and we would write it down. And we... We practiced this thing, and, and I realize now, looking back, how God helped us to do that and to implement it in our lives, is that I know I would have lost the plot were it not for that. Because at times, it just seemed like the circumstances were totally out of control. To see your child suffering like that, and you cannot do anything to help. But we put the promises, and in that time, God gave us beautiful promises over her life. And we wrote them down and we read them to each other and we held on to them and we prayed for them. And when we look back now and we see and we look at those promises, we see how promise after promise after promise God is restoring, God is doing. We looked at her profile today. Um, my wife was telling me on the way here on her pr profile. Is God is a God who restores. And it, that's what she's put on there. And I just can realize this thing. We put the promises of God before us. I think Deuteronomy 8, I shared about that a bit, but Deuteronomy 8 talks of this terrible wilderness. But the hope of the wilderness in Deuteronomy 8 was, God says, I took you through the wilderness so that you will learn not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I believe God wants to whisper his promises to us. God doesn't want to throw his promises at you from a distance. So I want to encourage you. I don't know your walk with God. I don't even know if you're a believer in God. I don't know if you know if you know Jesus as your Savior. But I want to say he's got a redemptive process for you. And he's got promises for your life. He's got purpose for your life. But he's not going to throw them at you from over there. He wants to whisper. And to whisper, you've got to come near and put your ear near to his mouth that he can speak to you. God is wanting to call you near no matter what you're going through. Give him your ear. Let him speak. And when he speaks, write it down. And hold on to it. Put it before you, the promises of God for your life. Second thing, practically, I want to say stay among the people of God. If you're not a part of a church, I want to say become part of a good church that preaches from the Bible. That If you're, not, if you're living close, this is a great church. But if you're not from around here, get a good church. Because when I look at Ruth... And how she was a healing bomb to Naomi. I believe in the same way God is calling his church 
to be a people that will stick with us through the issues we're going through. And we'll, sometimes we need God to come to us in a package with skin on. That he can journey with us and, and we need people around us. And we have found over the years that those that have stuck it out with church, even when they feel like pulling out because they're going through emotional health issues, they want to isolate themselves like Naomi. She wants to push everybody away and just live in her sorrows. But those that stick with the church and let the church stick with them, we find that God takes them through. God ministers to you. It's his way. He puts the lonely in families. And we're not perfect families. We don't do everything right. But be part of that. It's God's way to bring us through into the emotional healing. Third thing, keep obeying God's word. You know, when you're going through emotional health issues and mental health issues, one of the big temptations is, well, so what? If this is where I've ended, why should I carry on obeying God? Let's just abandon it. Let's just, well, God doesn't care anyway. Because we get into a place like that, and I believe it's such a dangerous temptation. Because when we start to disobey God's word, we actually open ourselves up for even more exposure to things that will harm our mental health. And so it's so important, keep obeying. All God's ways are loving and faithful. Even when he says, this is where you are to live, but don't go there. Obey him, even when it, it feels like it's not even worth obeying God. Keep obeying him, because in that place is the place where I believe God will protect you in your healing process. When you go across the boundaries, we expose ourselves to more and more damage. For example, forgiveness. God says forgive. He doesn't say it to give us just some rule, because forgiveness is something that will bring us into a place of restoration. So forgive, and so on. We can, buy, we can take many things. Be thankful, even in a place of depression. Give thanks to God. You see, because that's what it's, obedience is. We obey Him even when we don't feel like it. But ultimately, it brings us through into a place of healing. Don't get involved in things that are tied to rebellion. Don't get involved in things. You know, when you look at the devil's strategy, virtually what I can think of is the majority of the devil's work is to destroy our mental health. It's what he wants to do. Fear, anxiety, depression, despair. And I'm not saying he's the cause of all of those things, but he will absolutely capitalize on every opportunity to bring those into our lives. So don't go and get involved in things that are openly related to the demonic. But obey God. Follow his ways. And lastly... We need to embrace the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, there's no therapy, no counsel, no medicine that can deal with shame and guilt. There's nothing. It's only the cross of Jesus Christ that can bring us to a place where, we, where he can come and he can say, that which you are guilty of, that which you are genuine where you've wronged, I will take that away. Nobody else can do that. Nothing else can do that. It is only the cross of Jesus Christ. Believe me, I've tried. But there's only there. You think of the prodigal son. Prodigal son that came home. He repented. And he came home to his father. But he came home with a mental health problem. The mental health problem he had was, my father will accept me but not fully. 
I will never fulfill my destiny in the house ever again because of what I've done. That was his mindset. He repented, he turned away, he's coming back home, but he carried this thing in his heart, I will never fulfill my purpose again as a son in this house. But as he arrived, the father came running. And every time he tried to say something, he would put something else on him. The robe of a son, the shoes of a son, the ring of a son, the fattened calf of a son. You see, it's only, only through Christ and through his cross that the shame of what we've done can be lifted off us so that we can get to a place of healing where we can say, you know what, I've got a dark history. But the cross has taken away my shame. I can live fully as a child of God in God's house. So embrace fully the work of the cross. I'd like to close with a prayer. And I want to just first tell you about my prayer and then you can decide. But I, There's some scriptures that for my wife and I have ministered to us deeply in this journey. And I've just put them into my own words. You'll recognize where they come from. They're scriptures in various places in the Bible. And I've put them together as a little prayer. Prayer of proclamation. And I don't want anybody to stand for this. Sometimes mental health issues are deeply things that we, we don't actually have people that know about it, whatever. Just the way you see it. But if you're battling with this, I want you to say, God, even though I'm sitting down, but in front of God, I'm standing. Okay, so I just want to pray this over you, okay? And I'm not going to ask you to respond afterwards. I'm just going to pray this, and you agree with me in your heart as you cry out to God. And I've put them in a way of God speaking this over our lives. So I want to, I'm going to present it like that. Here's my prayer. God would say to you, anybody here, it feels you're suffering from some area of challenge in emotional, mental health. God would say to you, I want you to consider that I call out the stars, each one by name, and not one of them has ever been missing, and not one of them has ever been late. That's how great I am. That's how great my power is. So that today you can know that when I say to you, I've called you by name, and that you are mine, it comes with such authority, such power, that you can rest in that assurance that you are safe in my hands. And God will say to you, that though you might feel in the morning that you cannot get up out of your bed, God says, I will take hold of your right hand and I will lift you up and I will uphold you. And I believe God will say to you that even if you feel abandoned by God and forgotten by Him, He would say to you, as a father, my son has proved once and for all how deep and how wide and how great is my love for you. When he, my son hung on that cross it was proof for you to know that no matter what you're going through, there is evidence for all eternity that I will never leave you nor forsake you. God would say to you that though you may have gone out weeping and carrying 
with your seeds that you've been sowing and thinking it's just such a loss, that you will return singing songs of joy. You might say, I am barren. Everyone around me is fruitful, but I'm barren. And God would say to you, sing, O barren one. Sing. For I will enlarge the place of your tent. You will stretch out to the right and to the left. I will enlarge you. I will adorn you with jewels and precious stones, for you are mine. I am your husband, says the Lord. God will say to you, though you feel all you have left of your life are ashes, I'm just burnt out. God says, I will give beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of your mourning, and I will give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Your Redeemer lives. His name is Jesus. He is your Redeemer in mental health and emotional health. He is your Redeemer and He's alive. And His feet are beautiful. And they announce and proclaim to you today good news. That there's peace for your soul that's troubled. Good news of peace. Good news of restoration. Good news of joy because His name is Jesus the risen King, and He is your Redeemer. Oh Lord, I pray for everyone listening to this, that they would experience even now the wonderful redemptive heart of God to see them fulfill what they were created for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.